church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Revelation 2.1. A study of the book of Revelation often takes apocalyptic imagery and expression, hence it's largely ignored. There are so many nuggets encapsulated in the book of Revelation, and we will be taking a look at a few of them in this teaching. Today, Pastor Lanry helps us meet John, a beloved apostle exiled to the remote, rocky, and harsh island of Patmos in Hello Church, I Know. How are we all doing this morning? Good to see you, Brother Greg. How are you, how are you feeling? <laughs> we love you. Dr. Manzi. Ah, you're here. And <laughs> God bless. Please just stand, take your stand and let's... I need to see you. <laughs> I've not seen you in like a year or so. Thank you for coming. God bless you. Uh, my appointment is still, still holds, right? Yes. My coming to Florida still holds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, good to see everybody this morning. You know, um, uh, it's, it's a good day. And, you know, November is always the best days for me. The best days yeah. are always there in November. So yes, yes. I, I don't know about you guys, but, um, you know, yes. no, it's not if I say so, that's what it is. <laughs> So, well, if you know, you know, right? Yes. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. Just welcoming everybody this morning and those of you online, we just want to appreciate you for coming and joining us this morning for uh, a continuation of Hello Church. And um, this morning, I just want to pray, it's, you know, we're getting to that end of the year and there's going to be a lot of travels. Um, Students are coming and going, people are traveling all over the place. We have people who traveled. We have some people like the Molundas just came back from uh, Kenya. We thank God for a safe trip. And, um, and I just want us to pray this morning for, you know, uh, journey mercies for everyone that will be traveling for whatever purpose, for whatever reason this morning. Let's bow our heads and just pray. Father, this morning we just want to thank you. Uh, we thank you because safety is of the Lord. And because of that, we can only rely on you and depend on you to keep us safe. And therefore, for everyone that is moving and traveling, no matter how short the distance or how long uh, the distance is, we thank you because you will keep every one of us like you have promised. You said you'll be with us in our going in and in our coming in, and in our going out and in our coming in. Uh, Father, we thank you that this season of traveling, oh God, your safety overshadows everybody in the name of Jesus. Thank you. You say we will fly under the shadow of your wings, O God. You will protect us. You keep us. You give your angels charge over us to keep us. Let this be our testimony as we go in and as we come out this season in the name of Jesus. We give you praise. We bless you. We glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you so much. Um, 
We're going back to the book of Revelation. We're not able to do everything, like I said. We're just looking at the letters. And even the letters, we, we, you know, we broke them down into three. Just, we just, we're just following a pattern of what the letters are, the seven letters to the uh, seven churches that Jesus dictated to um, John. And uh, if you remember the pattern, can you go with me? Uh, the patterns were, number one, Jesus acknowledged them, right? Yeah. Am I correct? Yeah. Jesus, uh, for every of the seven letters, Jesus acknowledged them. He said, I know. All right? Then uh, after acknowledgement, he challenged them. All right? He challenged them. And then after the uh, challenge, he encouraged them. So we have done the first installment last Sunday, which is um, acknowledgement. I know. And on Sunday, we concluded that God knows everything that is going on with you. Sometimes it looks like he does not know. Sometimes it looks like he, he's not even present. He does not even understand what you're saying. Sometimes he looks, he seems very far from us. But one thing we can be sure of, and Jesus assured that church, he said, I know. So you can take that to the bank that God knows. He knows what is going on with you. He knows what is ailing you. And the good thing about him knowing, it's not just that he knows for the sake of knowing, but he knows because he has an answer for every situation and every circumstance that we're going through. So he just doesn't know. He has the answer. And you may not be able to understand or follow or comprehend where life is headed or where you are headed or what is going on around you. But you can be rest assured that he who has the answer knows. And the encouragement about that is just that uh, he is faithful to accomplish everything that concerns you. Amen. He is very faithful. All right? And um, last Sunday, I let you guys into a little bit of my secret, right? And I, I, re I read a few, a few of my letters. Some people still want more, but... Um, what? <laughs> um, but this morning, seriously, uh, we want to go to the other area, which is um, the, the challenge. And today it's Hello Church. Turn back. Hello Church, turn back. So there's I know, then there's the turn back. And that the turn back is the challenge. But before we go into that story, let me also introduce Mr. John to you again. Let me continue my introduction of Mr. John to you. <laughs> now, what do you think qualified John to be the person that Jesus used to inscribe these letters? Why do you think he was qualified? What made, I mean, there were so many people who could have done it at the time. But Jesus chose John to do it, all right? And he did not do it in, uh, in pleasure, so to say. The circumstances were just harsh and horrible, and the circumstances were not just okay or conducive for him. But I'm going to tell you something that Jesus knew ahead of time before John, before, I mean, before he commissioned John to do this, and that is John was one of those apostles that was really selfless. 
His life was not about him. If not, why will somebody who was old and, you know, uh, Bible history or, you know, history tells us that John was the last of the apostles that walked with Jesus. All right? So at this time when he was banished to the island of Patmos, he was a very old man at the time. But you know what? When God came to him and told him, I have a message for the church. I have a message for my people. Guess what? John did not pray for his needs. God, I have been here on the island of Patmos. I have been uh, 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 abandoned here. I'm here by myself. I'm old. There's nothing that's going on. There's nothing good going on around here. Can you please help me out? Can you save me? Can you get me out of this place? Remember like we said last, uh, last, uh, uh, last Sunday, the island of Patmos was not a comfortable place. The reason, there was a reason why it was there at the time. But John did not pray for his need. He saw Jesus Christ. It was a vision. It was an open vision that he saw Jesus Christ. And the first thing that came to his mind was not, I need my situation changed. What lesson do we draw from that? If we are going to experience, you remember I told you last Sunday, before I said what I want to say now, I told you last Sunday that your best days are still ahead. It does not matter what you are going through. But if you are going to experience and enjoy your best days, you have to be like John. That, you know, that, there's no argument that your best days are still ahead of you. But if you are going to experience it and enjoy it, there has to be a sense of selflessness. There has to be a sense of selflessness. And if John can do it, guess what? You can do it also. Because the same spirit that rose up Jesus Christ from, Christ, from the dead, the Bible says, if it dwells in you, which it did in John, which it is doing in you today, that same spirit will also quicken your mortal body. It will quicken you. It will help you to be able to do that so that you can enjoy your best days. So our best days are ahead of us, but like John, we have to be selfless to be able to get there. But we'll see that. So, turn back. Jesus is saying, hello church. Listen church. It's time to turn back. I'll give you one of my boarding school stories a little bit again because <laughs> but this one is not going to be, you know, about the letters. Um, the, the very first time I heard the word, not all that glitter is gold. And um, and forward, every forward movement is not a sign of progress. I had those two things from one man, and that was my body school. I was a little kid, you know, I was, you know, I was a little kid. Uh, we had this vice principal who likes to tell us stories in the assembly. You know, we have this, what is called the assembly, where we come together and, you know, they, they help us know what is going, or give us an information of what's going to happen, 
all right? And so there's this guy who always tells us this story. I mean, he tells stories before he brings out his points. And so in this story, he was telling us of how he was traveling to a place, and that was not a very pleasant place. Where he was going was not because of the road, because of, because of where it was, it was a tortuous road. It was not well, um, the road was not very good, all right? And so on this day, he was traveling on this road, and he saw a detour on the road. And that was an express. Clean, clear road, nice, well-constructed, and it just went. Because there was a sign on that road that told him he was going to that city. And so it was a new road, and he was so excited that, my God, I have this new road. My experience will be better. And he had a very good experience until he got to about the middle of his journey, and the road ended. The road ended. There was no road anymore. And there was no sign to say the road was continuing or there was it. No. So what did he have to do? He had to turn back around and move back to where he was, where he started, to start the journey. And so he told us, not all that glitter is gold. And not all forward movement is progress. And it was, so why am I bringing it here? I'm telling you this today because it happened to the Ephesian church. Let's get a picture of what the Ephesian church is. The Ephesian church was one, when, the, when things were good, on the good days, on the right day, on the right time, the Ephesian church were the model church. In fact, in some Bible history, uh, the, the name Ephesus means a desired place. And the church, when it started, actually was a desire model church. Paul established the church in his first missionary journey, but had to come back, you know, during his third missionary journey to come and really, really establish that church. And he sat down to establish that church for two years. He was teaching them in one place called uh, the school of Tyrannus. And was teaching them day and night, morning and evening. And this church grew, they matured, they were, I mean, they were rooted, they were grounded, and everything was going well. And they were the model church around all, about all the churches that were there. And in spite of what was going on, because that city, the city of Ephesus, was both a commercial and a spiritual city. Commercial in the sense that the major parts of that area at that time was there. So you're talking about maybe a place like uh, New York. It was a great commerce center for commerce. It was a great business center. And, and apart from that, there was the great worship of the goddess Artemis there. All right? So it was a place that people frequented. Everybody was going there. And the city was corrupt. And in spite of the corruption there, the word of God still prospered. Because you know why? The church matured. The church grew. The church was established. And God began to do all kinds of things. In fact, in, book of, uh, in the book of Ephesians 4, you will see what Paul was thinking. Sorry, Ephesians 1, verse 14. You will see what Paul was talking about those guys. All right? Because after 10 years, message had gone back to John. Somebody had taken back a message to, I mean, to Paul. And in that message, they were telling him how well things were going in the church. How good things were. And in, can you give me Ephesians 4, Ephesians 1, 14. Ephesians 1, 14. Look at what it said. 
And he wrote that beautiful episode. Uh, can you go back to 13? Is it 13? No, let me see 12. I'm sorry. No, okay. Give me 15. I hope I didn't get the wrong thing here. Okay, good, good. Look at what he said. Look at what he said about them. Because that was the purpose for writing uh, the book of Ephesus, all right? Look at what he said. He said, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's not saying I heard that you were good. In other words, he said, report has come to me that you guys are doing well. Guess what? And your love for all the saints. What did I do to him? I do not cease to give thanks for you. Why? Because you guys are doing well. You guys are a model church. Things are going on right. The way things should be going. But I want you to know that Paul had warned them that things will not always work the way it seems to be working. Because by the time I'm leaving, that was before he left them, by the time I'm leaving, wolves will come into the church and all they want to do is take advantage of what was going on. All right? And if you now read the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1, starting from verse 4, you will begin to see that the church that Paul built that was a model church began to fall apart. And everything, nothing was really working like Paul thought it was going to work. And we don't know if things were corrected when Timothy was, um, when Timothy was there pastoring that church. But we know that at the end of the day, in the book of Revelation, Jesus had to come back and wanted to correct things that were going on wrong. Jesus wanted to correct things that were going on wrong. And so we go to our scripture. Give me Revelation 2. So I want you to see this church was a model church. Brilliant church. Nice church. Um, it was multicultural church. It was not only Yoruba people that were there. <laughs> or, or, or uh, uh, you know, English people that were there. I mean, it was multicultural. It was everybody had a place. The love of Jesus Christ was being expressed, you know? And look at what it said from verse 4. Last Sunday, I told you all that Jesus Christ had done, right? Jesus Christ had commended them for what they were doing and all of that, and he acknowledged what they were doing. But here is it. He said, nevertheless, I have this against you. Now, all those things I acknowledge, all those things, you know, I give you credit for them. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. All right? Give me five. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and all these things are, you know, all these things, will, I'll, I'll try and explain, you know, all of these things, because uh, too many times when the book of Revelation is being interpreted, we interpret it from our religious mindset. All right? We, we, and, and that's why sometimes it is challenging, and many people just want to run away from, uh, from the book of uh, uh, Revelation. He said, nevertheless, uh, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else... I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Okay, just take a deep breath. All right, take <laughs> a deep breath. Okay, all right. 
Here's what Jesus was telling them. Everything you are doing was commendable. It was good. However, you did not become the model church because of the works that you did. Because too many times, we, we just want to work for God. And there's nothing wrong with that. All right? There's nothing wrong with that. We have to uh, work and all of that. But our work really does not commend us to God. What commends you to God? What Paul was telling them, what Paul was telling them there is that you guys have taken your eyes off the mark. And the mark there was the love of Jesus Christ because that was what established you as a church. That was what made you a model church before every other thing. What is that first love? That first love was the love of Jesus Christ or the love of God that they experienced when they came to God by faith. They experienced the unconditional love of God. But now they were living their lives on condition. They replaced the love of God for works. In fact, one of the issues why, that, why this is really important is that one of the doctrines that came at that time to kind of derail them and got them, you know, to where they were was that, you know, they started mixing animism or this, um, um, this, uh, the worship of the goddess of Diana, they started mixing it with Christianity that what Jesus Christ has done was not enough. If we read further, you will see what that means. And that's why he was warning them about, you know, if you read verse 6, it was talking about, you know, some of you uh, have rejected the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And from verse 14, you will understand that the doctrine of Nicolaitans was linked to the doctrine of Balaam. And the Nicolaitans were just, you know, uh, um, some, you know a, a, some Bible scholars or some Bible um, um, history tells us that uh, uh, Nicolaitans was somebody called Nicholas who was part of the early church. And he just wanted to take people away to himself. And he started introducing all kinds of doctrines. Remember last Sunday I was telling you that one of the things that just commended them for was because they did not hold on to lies. And this was lies. All right? So they replaced the love of Jesus Christ, the love that they received from God, that unconditional love, that God loved them unconditionally. They replaced that with their own works. And what made the church thick and what is going to make the church today thick is going to be us holding on to that love of God that we have received at the beginning. The reason why there's no power in the church is not because we're not praying enough. No, we pray a lot. And I'm not, when I'm in the church, I'm not just talking about, you know, I'm not just talking about this church. All right? I'm talking about, you know, the body of Christ. One of the reasons why things are not working the way it should work, the way God has designed them, is that we have departed from the first love, which is the love of God. How do I know? Do, do we pray? Yes, prayer brings power, right? But the thing is that a lot of times we pray amiss. Why? Because our prayers are not grounded in love. It's about me. What I will get how my situation will get better. Not knowing 
that when we, you know, embrace the love of God and begin to walk in the reality of the fullness of the love of God that God has made available for us, guess what? Everything begins to fall in place and things begin to take care of themselves. Listen, one of the reasons why churches like Ephesus thrived at the beginning was because the world had never seen the love of God like they had seen before. Because before all those things, before Jesus Christ, before the Jesus movement that happened, all right, before the coming of the Jesus movement, women were of no value at the time in that society. Children, especially girls, had no value. And guess what also? Some men had no value because there, was there were classes of men. So if you're not in the noble, forget it. But it was this Jesus movement that came, introduced the love of God, all right, and said, because of the love of God, every man had dignity. Because of the love of God, every child is valuable. Because of the love of God, the ground has been made level for all of us. And that's why he said, there's no female, there's no male. There's no Jew, there's no Gentile. There's no Greek, there's no Scythian. Why? Because under Jesus Christ, we're all one. And you know what brought us in as one? What is that leveler that made us all one? The love of God. And what Jesus Christ is telling us through this church is that that love of God, that unconditional love of God that we have received, is still potent then. I mean, it's still potent today like it was then. It's still going to do the same wonders it did in those days like it did today. The love of God. It is that unconditional love of God. It is that love of God that frees you from guilt, that frees you from your own works. And that is what these guys abandoned. And Jesus Christ was telling them, you need to turn back. And just like Jesus Christ announced to them that time, he's also announcing it to us today, that if we are going to thrive, if we are going to prosper as a church, if this Jesus community is going to grow and mature and be rooted and be grounded in the things of God, we have to go back to that unconditional love of God. I can give you all the $1 million, you know, and $10 million and all of that, that you know, that, that I can, but that is not going to replace the love of God. The unconditional love of God. And he was telling them, hey, church, return. Return. Go back to that love of God that made you what you were in the first place, or what you are in the first place. Remember to return. Remember to return. All right. Let's go back to that scripture again. 
Let me just touch on a little, a little thing. Second, uh, uh, Revelations 2. Starting from verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Five. Let's go to five. Sorry. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. So I've explained that, right? That it was a function of them departing from the love of God. Their eyes were no more set on the love of God. Their eyes were beginning to look at what they could do, what they could accomplish, and all the things that, you know, that they added to the gospel. It's a continuous addition, and we're doing it. It's not any different from what we're doing today. We keep adding and adding and adding and adding and adding to it. And what, do you know what happens when you keep adding and adding? You adulterate. You begin to adulterate, you know, the love of God. It's like, um, it's like you go to uh, a, a fountain drink, right? Maybe a child goes to a fountain drink. And the, 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 the water level and the syrup have been measured. Right? So that you get a good mix. But let's say a child drinks about half of it. And he went there to go and get a refill. And the mix and the water is not coming out. And, and the syrup, I mean, it's not coming in. All right? So he says, okay, I need another cup of this fountain drink. And he takes water and keeps pouring until that thing gets full. Will it taste the same again? Because he's adding to it what is not sufficient to sustain the level of taste and all of that. And sometimes when we keep adding to the word of God, that's what we do. We are diluting and diluting and diluting the love of God. We're diluting it because we think we have to do this to make it work. We have to do that to make it work better. We have to do this to enhance it. It's like trying to help God. Because the love of God is so simple to receive that it looks impossible to attain. How can it be that simple? How can it be that simple? And because of that, people keep adding, God will love me more if I do this. Things will work better if I do that. This will happen if this happens. This will happen. No, but I come here this morning to tell you that what the love of God offers is enough for us. Amen. It's enough. Just take it. Just add to it. Don't add anything to it. It's already spectacular in its own life, in, in its own self. As simple as it is. You see, the thing, the thing sometimes is that, you know, like I said last Sunday again, uh, sometimes our minds are too sophisticated that simplicity becomes stupid to us. But the simplicity of the love of God is sophisticated enough. It will get us to where we want to get to. It will help us to be able to do what we need to do. All right, so he said, repent and do the first one. Please give me NLT, NLT. Good. Look how far you have fallen. 
turn back to me and do the works uh, you did first. And what it means by work is that just submit yourself. Surrender yourself to the love of God. And all that the love of God offers you will be yours. If you don't repent, I will remove your lampstand. Aha, this is one of the areas, always one of the real problem areas. Because every time you hear that, every time we hear that, guess what happens? I will remove your lampstand. You think that Jesus Christ is just going to come and destroy this church. I have heard it. Being preached that way. In fact, some of my first encounters with the book of Revelation was this kind of scary things. And then it moved to the bizarre and the odd. I don't want to bother you with that. What does Jesus Christ mean by I will remove your lampstand from its place amongst the churches? Now, Jesus is not saying he's going to destroy this church. In fact, what Jesus was doing by giving this scripture or by giving this letter was for them to get, you know, uh, uh, to, to, to go back to where they were. In other words, the first love, right? Okay, because you know how I know? Because in the book of 2 Timothy 3 verse 17, the Bible tells us that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. For what? For instruction, correction, reproof, so that we will lack nothing. So the main reason why Jesus Christ was writing this scripture to them was not to destroy them. Or tell them, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill you. It was for them to be able to turn back. So what was he saying? What was Jesus Christ saying here? Just very simple. You guys are the model church. What made you the model church was that first love. That is the love of God. And you need to focus on that love of God to be able to keep your light burning. Because if you look at it, it talks about the lampstand, well, you know, um, the, the one who walks among the lampstand, and the Bible tells us that the lampstand is, is, you know, is, is the church, and then the stars are the angels. You know, it was just, you know, allegories or metaphors for all of it. So what Jesus Christ is saying here is that the love of God is what keeps the fire of the church burning. Too many times we replace, you know, because when, when, we think of, when we think about the fire of God in the church, you know, uh, you think it's when you shout, oh, fire, you know, uh, you, know uh, you know, all kinds of things that, you know, that, that people say and all of that. But, you know, you can say fire from today to tomorrow, it does not mean anything, right, until you have the love of God. Because every other thing functions from the foundation of the love of God. Everything functions on the foundation of the love of God. So the love of God must be evident in us. And a lot of times we are not able to express the love of God because we, have not, you know, we are not fully committed to this love that God has given to us. We are not committed fully. Just like the Ephesian church, they were not committed. And the more they moved away from the love of God, the more the fire kept.
kept dimming out. The fire kept dimming out. The fire kept dimming out. And we know that in real history, by the second century, it was all gone. And what we have there today are the relics of the things that have happened. No matter how great anything is good is going, no matter how great things are, when the love of God begins to move, it can quickly become like a desert. Because the love of God, the love of God, is what beautifies everything. It beautifies your life. It beautifies our church. It makes things go well. It helps us to be able to walk in the fullness and the reality of God. If we are confident of that love of God, that was why Paul was telling them in the book of uh, 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 chapter uh, in the book of Ephesians, chapter three, where he was telling them, he said that you need to be rooted and grounded in this love of God. Why was he telling them to be rooted and grounded in this love of God? He was telling them to be rooted and grounded in this love of God because that is what is going to sustain you. If you don't, if you are not rooted and grounded in the love of God, the fact that you have an unconditional love from God that is not holding you conditional to anything, the fact that you are loved by God, and God does not require anything for you for him to love you better. If you are not established in that love, it is very, very difficult for you to be able to dish that love out. Because for, for all of us, we only, like Paul said, or you know, uh, Peter, he said, such as I have, give I thee. If you think that God's love for you is conditional, then you, the way you relate with other, every other person will be conditional too. All right? If you think that God needs something for you to be okay, then for people to be okay with you, you will think they need something. It's, it's, it will always be conditional. But until our love for God is established, that unconditional agape love of God, until we're established, we're rooted and grounded in it. Guess what happens? We begin to drift. We begin to drift. In closing, I want you to know again, we have love for God. Because he first loved us. There's no way you can love God with the love of God if you have not accepted the love of God. So the Bible tells us that we love him because he first loved us. All right? I remember that song we used to sing in, in, in Sunday school. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because what? Because he first loved me. I wonder if that's our testimony today. Because what is going to make Global Outreach Church thick 
is going to be us accepting that unconditional love of God. What is going to make our lights, our, our light shine bright is going to be that unconditional love of God. Where we accept that unconditional love of God and we can dish the unconditional love of God out. What is going to sustain us is going to be that love of God. And like the church in Ephesus, God is calling us to turn back. How do you turn back? Just accept this love of God. Receive it. All right? The Bible tells us that the love of God is shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we have it. Just embrace it. Embrace this love of God and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Can you read Ephesians? Can you open to Ephesians for me, please? Ephesians again. Let's go to Ephesians 4. Sorry, Ephesians, um, Ephesians 1 verse 14. 15, I mean. Ephesians 1 verse 15. Ephesians 1 15. NLT, please. Look at what it said. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere. All right? Go ahead. I have not stopped to, think, to thank God for you. I pray for you constantly. You see, you see what the prayer is? Let's go. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you the spirit of wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Go ahead. I pray that your heart will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given us. He has given, he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich, glorious inheritance. Go to chapter 3 and start from verse 14 also. Chapter 3, verse 14. When I think of this, when I think of what he has talked about, all the things that, you know, um, uh, uh, he has outlined all the, you know, doctrines and everything that, you know, uh, uh, was going on there, all right? Look at what he said. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, all right? The creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. 18. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should how wide, how long, how high and how deep the love of God is. And he went ahead to tell us that this love of God is not comprehensible. In other words, you cannot exhaust this love of God that is with us. So what, is my, what, what am I telling you this afternoon? I'm telling you this afternoon that we have to go back as a church community. I'm, I'm talking to this church now, to this church community now, that we have to go back to that point where the love of Jesus Christ becomes number one in our life. And that love becomes the driver of every other thing that we do. It is from the base of that love, when we are rooted and grounded in that love, 
that every other thing will fall in place and make sense. Things may not make sense to us now, but the love of God is going to make things make sense to us as we continue to ground ourselves and root ourselves in the love of God because that should be our first love. Every other thing has limitations, but the love of God moves the bar forward. And that's what God is calling us to here in this local assembly. That no man should, always, no man should look, at, you know, look out for himself alone, but because of the love of God that is present in our hearts, we are committed to everything that God has said concerning every other person. And like John, it's not only about me, it's about Jesus, about my other brother, and about all of us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just want to thank you. We bless you and we confess this morning that your love is sufficient for us. And this love of God Like Paul prayed, you will help us to be rooted and you help us to be grounded in the love of God. That as we live our lives out of the base and the foundation of this love, we begin to see the light of Jesus Christ in our lives burning brighter and shining greater. Because we know it is through this love that the world was saved. It is through this love that the lost will be drawn. In fact, in your word, you said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciple because you have the love of God flowing in your veins. Father, this morning, we just thank you and we bless you. Help us to be able to embrace this love, to walk in the fullness and the reality of this love of God that you have given us. Help us and for those of us who are still struggling in the area of this love of God, I don't know what our struggles are. Help us to be able to turn back and be able to embrace this love of God and know that every other thing outside the love of God is nothing. Like 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that no matter what it is that you have, without love you are nothing. But help us to grow in this love that is already shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.